Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and I'm joined from Tallahassee by Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy. Hey, John. Hello, Zach. And joining me from Pembroke Pines is Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. Howdy, Antonio. Hey, Zach. Hey, John. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis continues to face questions about why residents of upscale communities built by his donors are getting special access to the COVID-19 vaccine. We'll discuss the latest revelations about vaccine clinics in Charlotte and Manatee counties, what to look for this weekend when CPAC, the big conservative gathering, comes to Orlando. And we'll also take a look ahead at the 2021 legislative session that kicks off next week. But first... Gentlemen, you know what that music means. You have some numbers uh, for me today. How about you, John? Hey, Zach, last week I came in with a three, but uh, th- this week I've got a number twice as good. Three, three, or 33. Right. And how about you, Antonio? Oh, when John goes low, I go high. I'm going to go actually with 4,772 after a few weeks of always going double digits only. Okay, Uh, and I got you both beat. I'm going to go with 100,000. That's a 33 for John, 4,772 for Antonio, and 100,000 for me. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll let you know what they mean for Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, as vaccinations ramp up across the state, some of the clinics are leading to questions about political favoritism. Vaccine pop-up clinics in Manatee and Charlotte counties that were billed as targeting senior heavy areas have been especially controversial. DeSantis turned to politically connected developers who have given him campaign contributions to help with both clinics, and both ended up offering special vaccine access to residents in wealthier communities. This week, there were new revelations about the clinic in Charlotte County that was overseen by developer Pat Neal. I reported that Neal offered residents of two of his upscale developments special access to the vaccine. One of those developments has homes worth more than a million dollars and vaccines also were offered to members of the development's semi-private club who pay thousands of dollars a year to be members. The other Neil development that got the vaccine also has expensive homes valued at up to $855,000 and includes a kid's splash pad and a resort-style pool with a water slide. Meanwhile, the Manatee County Clinic that drew attention for limiting vaccinations to two wealthy zip codes also was in the news again. Manatee County Sheriff's Office announced that County Commission Chair Vanessa Baugh is under investigation for creating a vaccine priority list that included herself and a prominent developer. Comedy Central's The Daily Show even had fun with the issue, releasing a viral video called Club Vax that depicted DeSantis, quote, giving his rich friends the COVID vaccine as Florida's hottest, most corrupt nightclub. 
John, the word corrupt is getting thrown about quite a bit uh, in relation to these clinics. And former Governor Charlie Chris is even calling on the U.S. Attorney General to investigate. DeSantis called Chris' letter to the Attorney General a joke yesterday, and he's been pretty strident in defending these clinics. But is he getting into risky legal territory here? The governor doesn't seem to be shying away from what he's done here, and uh, his strategy looks very Trumpian. You know, it's uh, just deny, deny, deny that there's any connection to the rather obvious link between vaccines being made available to seniors and developments built by a prominent Republican donor and uh, where Republican activists live. But, um, you know, Trump isn't in power anymore, and it's possible that this episode explodes on the governor or at least uh, turns into another prominent clash between the Joe Biden Justice Department and the governor. Uh, The two sides uh, scuffled some over uh, Biden's vaccination distribution plans of the states, uh, giving the federal government a new prominent role. Uh, And then the White House swung back uh, saying that Florida hadn't effectively distributed its allocated vaccine. Um, Just last week, DeSantis and U.S. Senator Marco Rubio uh, shot back at the Biden administration, accusing the administration of uh, considering domestic travel restrictions that could hurt Florida, which that White House says they're not planning on imposing. But if the administration feels that DeSantis is playing politics with vaccine distribution, it could make the governor's life uh, very difficult, just as DeSantis has been defying anyone who criticizes him on this. And while, you know, you know practically anything else he does uh, in a kind of uh, my way or the highway kind of political strategy, a Justice Department investigation of how the state is handling distribution could at least be very embarrassing to the governor, although you know, in, in Trump world, he can undoubtedly turn that into a, a, a merit badge of some kind when he's running for re-election next year. But, uh, you know, all this comes as the General Accounting Office has been studying all aspects of uh, COVID response uh, in, in D.C. And uh, and now vaccine distribution is part of their mission as well. It's, it's made more than 40 recommendations for improving uh, uh, federal agencies and also uh, they've also added these uh, recommendations to congressional committees, which now are also rep- Democratic led. And uh, th- they, too, are potentially willing to turn up the heat on DeSantis. So uh, DeSantis may be acting like he's the boss of all things Florida, even vaccine distribution to friends. But uh, he's not the boss of all things in Washington. And he doesn't have that many well-placed friends there anymore. So I think he wants to stay out of the Justice Department's way if it does come to that. Also, this is a very shrewd move when you think about it by Congressman Christ, who we've discussed before, is toying with the idea of challenging DeSantis next year. Uh, Christ is in a congressional district that is expected to become much more Republican after redistricting next year. So uh, he's kind of ready to make a move. And uh, anything he can do to antagonize DeSantis in coming months is uh, a very likely path that you're going to see him take. Antonio, there's been some pushback on this story from those who note that DeSantis also has offered special access to the vaccine for minorities uh, through black churches. I think Jeb Bush even tweeted about this, that uh, people are sort of, you know, he thinks people are, are ignoring that. I mean, does that make it okay, you know, to offer special access to upscale communities at these Charlotte and Manti clinics if you're also 
um, trying to target some of these uh, vaccines uh, at, at minority communities? Well, you know, he, we, we talked about a little bit about this last week. You know, he had shown up uh, earlier this month, I believe, in, in our neck of the woods in Palm Beach County and in, in Pahokee and rural Palm Beach County, where it's it's a largely a, a minority community and kind of out of the way and, and to try to bring attention to uh, a wider distribution of the vaccine there. And there he appeared with Anquan Bolden, a former Florida State and NFL star who's been w- leading the effort in a lot of those communities to, you know, sort of not just from a civic standpoint, but also in, in terms of vaccination and dealing with, the, with the, the pandemic. But, you know, what it sounds like here is that, you know, we're not going to swap vaccine hunger gains for vaccine lotto. You know, pick five numbers from one to nine and that's your vaccine zip code. Look, the, the, the thing is, and I, I was talking to a bunch of people this week about this, and they said, look, let's roll back the clock a bit here. You know, and in, in reality, I think our loyal listeners would remember that we commented that Governor DeSantis, who was a daily fixture in the news up until that November 3rd election, kind of disappeared for a while in November after the after the, the election. And and when he emerged and was questioned about it, he said that he was working on plans for this vaccine rollout. And in fact, he tweeted at one point a photo of himself at, you know, at what appeared to be a White House panel discussion of some sort talking about plans for distributing this, this long awaited and really widely sought vaccine. Then remember, he dismissed and scoffed at talk about some sort of public service announcement campaign to inform the public about the vaccine and how this distribution system was going to work. My point is that some of the people I spoke with this week say that given all the thought that was supposed to have been put into the vaccine distribution plan, why are we having these discussions about such a fragmented approach? You know, why are we having discussions about favoritism? And why are we having discussions about and seeing Floridians so frustrated by this disproportionate access? And the biggest question of all, some people are wondering, why didn't the governor just lay out the strategy from the beginning instead of this piecemeal approach that gives the impression that what we have is, you know, government on the fly? And then, of course, back all that up with a PSA type campaign so the public would know what to expect. And, and more importantly, the public would know what to expect and when. Um, look, in fairness to the governor, his defender said this week that this was not going to be a smooth or easy process in Florida. There was no way it would be. We have 20 million people. We, we skewed to a larger segment of older residents. We have a mobile and transit society. Um, you know, all that plus we just don't have enough vaccine supply would equal a lot of difficulties and disruptions trying to get this done. So there was no way they say that this is going to be easy. And they note there has been progress. You know, people are getting vaccinated. But critics say there's still there's no excuse for a distribution plan that has been so patchwork. A lot of the frustration that so many Floridians have experienced, they say, could have been blunted from the start. And the, the reason these disputes over favoritism and become fractious is because they pile on top of anger about lack of access and and perceptions, if not reality, of disproportionate distribution of the limited supplies we are getting. Yeah, th- these stories that we've written about these vaccine uh, clinics that have been targeted uh, to certain communities that are tied to politically connected developers, they've really um, gotten a, a huge response. I've gotten emails from tons of people about these. And it's really interesting to see, uh, you know, one thing that people really, really hate is if somebody is cutting in line, if they feel like they went through 
the proper procedure that they're going through. Uh, you know, they're playing by the rules and somebody else is getting a leg up. You know, that just rubs people the wrong way. And and that, those are the emails that I'm getting from people, people who who tell me, you know, I'm number 57,000 in line or I'm number 85,000 in line or I'm number 120,000 in line. And I signed up through this registration system. Why are these people going in front of me? Why, why did they get to, to cut in line? You know, somebody emailed me her her. Uh, you know, she she knew somebody who was who was a World War uh, II veteran who's who's waiting in line. And, and uh, she said, why are these people uh, getting to go in front of uh, this person? And so it, it's it's really kind of touched a nerve with some people. And I think it's uh, an issue that, um, you know, the governor's uh, going to going to be uh, responding to for a while here. Well, DeSantis may be getting some flack over his vaccine clinics, but his general approach to the coronavirus has made him increasingly popular with many conservatives who like that he has resisted new restrictions on businesses. That means the governor's appearance at CPAC, the big conservative confab in Orlando this week, is likely to be well-received. A bunch of other Florida Republicans will be at the event, and Trump is scheduled to speak on Sunday. This will be Trump's first public appearance since he left office, so it should be interesting what he has to say about the current tension over the future of the GOP. Antonio, what do you expect from DeSantis and Trump? Well, I think what is widely expected is the return of Trumpian uh, political WrestleMania after a little more than a month of President Biden's turning down the, the political volume and the temperature. Now, the expectation is Trump will play his tried and true campaign stump staples, things like, you know, that the Democrats are socialists, that a feeble Biden is being controlled by the left, that the Second Amendment is under attack, and that only Trump can rescue the economy, et cetera. The expectation is we will also hear chants of we love Trump and build the wall and lock him up or lock her up or just lock someone up, lock anyone up. Um, but the question is, and I, I will be listening for the pre-January 6th fight for Trump chant that became ultimately a call for insurrection. We'll see. That'll be interesting to see if that chant pops up. Um, what I think most people are going to be looking for is whether Trump will state unequivocally that he is a candidate for president for sort of a presidential comeback in 2024. I've heard some interesting gamesmanship speculation on this. I, I was reminded that Trump's 2020 campaign effort was actually opened on January 20, 2017, as soon as he had been sworn in. Uh, why wouldn't he announce he and his pack are ready to go now? Tradition suggests you don't do that this early, but Trump is someone who breaks traditions and customs all the time. Uh, moreover, making an announcement at CPAC would, I'm told, would close the door on potential 2024 rivals. It would force donors and political operatives to choose sides now and which of them would want to be seen as betraying Trump. And if you don't think there's a political price to pay for angering Trump, you might want to Google Nikki Haley and Liz Cheney. Uh, the more he stays quiet about his 2024 plans, the speculation suggests, the more he leaves the door open to rivals. So that's why I've been hearing lots of expectation that Trump may say something definitive about his 2024 plans. Uh, we'll see. But one thing that we can say for certain is that the CPAC summit in Orlando is going to be the coming out party for the new conservative Florida. Gents, you may recall that while he was governor, Rick Scott always compared Florida to Texas. Texas was a measuring stick on everything from taxation to job growth to educational achievement. That's because Texas was the conservative bellwether, the leader. But you know, sorry, Texas, move over. The Lone Star State relinquished the title just a couple of weeks ago because of that horrific humanitarian crisis that state just suffered when the power grid failed during this month's freeze. 
Plus, of course, you had Senator Ted Cruz's 24-hour Cancun vacay. The, the model for American conservative governance now is Florida, not just because Trump is here, but because this GOP-dominated state has lurched farther to the right, it has conservative firebrands, and a record on conservative stances that the governor and others are going to showcase at CPAC. So yes, Trump is the headliner CPAC, but the showcase will be Florida Republicans and Florida conservatives. So Antonio, if Florida is the center of the political universe for uh, conservatives, other than Trump, does that mean that DeSantis is is sort of the the leading figure uh, in in the sort of this new conservative movement? I, when you look at the governor's ranks across this country in Florida, yeah, DeSantis, you have to say, is probably the one that gets the most attention. Um, and you know, there's going to be a lot of battles that be fought. I mean, this this whole question of the pandemic, what we've just been talking talking about is very much an open question mark. His, his re-election bid next year is, is going to be a battle. I mean, he won by 30,000 votes the first time around. Uh, you know, he, after being extremely popular in his first year, his, his popularity has taken a hit. Uh, he's become a polarizing figure politically. Uh, like Trump mentioned, he, I mean, I'm sorry, like John mentioned, he has, he's been following the Trumpian playbook. So I, I think that's going to be a challenge. But I think if you look at if if you go to Florida, I mean, I'm sorry, if you go to the American conservatives, and you ask them to name the, the top three governors that they really pay attention to, I, I would not be surprised if Ron DeSantis was number one. Yeah. And, and even if you if you look at like the U.S. Senate, um, you know, Ted Cruz, he's taken a hit with this whole Cancun cruise, leaving his state during a crisis to to go to uh, uh, on a trip to Cancun. I mean, you, you have like Josh Howley and, and Tom Cotton and some of these figures. But I mean, who are really the, the national conservative figures in the in the Trump wing that have more uh, prominence than DeSantis right now? You could certainly make the argument that he is he is up there uh, at or near near the top other than the the former president himself. Well, while DeSantis basks in the adulation of conservative activists at CPAC, he also has to get ready for the upcoming legislative session, which will set the stage for his re-election effort next year. The governor is pushing some polarizing legislation on tech companies and protesters, among other bills. John, what are your thoughts on the governor's approach to this legislative session, and what are some of the other big issues we should be watching over the next two months? Well, from what we've seen so far, the governor seems to be pushing a bunch of priorities that may seem, you know, as more political than focused on the COVID-19 pandemic, which, of course, has claimed uh, the lives of more than 30,000 Floridians now. Uh, he's advancing a crackdown on big technology companies, uh, tough penalties uh, that are prompted by the Black Lives Matter movement last summer and uh, new restrictions on vote by mail, even though the process went very smoothly in Florida last November. Uh, DeSantis went so far last month at a Texas conservative gathering uh, to call his plan to impose penalties on big tech companies who uh, deplatformed President Trump. He called it the most important legislative issue we're going to have to get right. Uh, so I guess, I guess so much for dealing with the pandemic right now. Uh, so while politics is, uh, you know, is kind of his major role right now, major focus, uh, the governor and the legislature, while they, they do have other things on their plate, there's a, a, a very Republican approach to the pandemic, and that's a drive to enact lawsuit limits on businesses uh, stemming from any claims related to COVID-19. Um, it, it, kind of no surprise there. there. There's a cat versus dog fight 
fight here with trial lawyers and their Democratic allies between the uh, Republican leaders on this issue that would be uh, aimed at trying to protect businesses from any kind of lawsuit from uh, customers or, uh, or employees that feel they contracted COVID because of their exposure at, a, at an establishment. But um, there seems to be, uh, you, you know, that, that, that right now looks like the premier pandemic response from the Republican-led legislature. Uh, any talk of trying to increase the state's uh, uh, woefully low weekly unemployment benefits is not getting any traction, uh, nor is a call by Democrats for a, a moratorium on utility shutoffs for struggling families. But the uh, the virus, uh, when you look at a lot of the legislation, it's really uh, a factor in just about everything. Uh, school funding will be hinged on how the state deals with the missing uh, almost 88,000 students who have fallen off county rolls since the pandemic. Uh, if they come back, you know, will, will the state have money for them? Uh, there's taxes. The Republican majority may go along with an idea that's been floating in the legislature for the past two sessions to make sure that all online sales are subjected to uh, the state sales tax. Florida now being one of only two states that don't tax all e-commerce sales, something that's uh, obviously become more in focus with online shopping so big now with people hunkered at home. And, uh, and then, of course, there's uh, DeSantis also weighing in on the issue of climate change uh, in a billion-dollar way. Uh, he wants a new resilient Florida fund paid through bond issues to uh, help local governments deal with uh, infrastructure problems they have that are related to uh, rising sea uh, floods and intense storms. That's interesting. I mean, uh, the governor, you know, kind of one of the reasons that he was had quite a bit of bipartisan support early on before, um, you know, kind of the the pandemic caused partisanship to really uh, flare up more and, and kind of uh, hardened uh, more people on the left again him is uh, his support for environmental initiatives. It kind of set him apart, although it's not unusual even for a Republican governor to be pro-environment in Florida. Jeb Bush also pushed uh, some environmental initiatives. But what are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, you know, that that's uh, something that uh, a lot of people are concerned about. There's bipartisan concern. Florida is obviously very vulnerable. And tomorrow, um, Chris Sprouls, the Speaker of the Florida House, is having a big press conference to unveil some some of his um, sea level rise uh, efforts to combat his um, ideas to combat uh, sea level rise in Florida. That's seems like the most, you know, kind of ballyhooed uh, uh, unveiling of a uh, uh, climate change proposal from a Republican leader that we've seen in the state uh, in a long time since the days of Charlie Crist. Uh, it sounds like there's probably going to be some action on that this year. It does. Yeah, I, th I think there is sort of some uh, some gathering support for it. Uh, you know, it's a far cry from what we're used to during the previous administration of Governor Rick Scott, who wouldn't acknowledge climate change was happening. But uh, right now, it does seem like DeSantis is getting on board with this idea of trying to help local governments, which have been pretty much having to do it on their own when it comes to, you know, bolstering seawalls or uh, trying to uh, do different flood mitigation because of rising uh, uh, Tides that you know flood during any uh, any high tide. Basically, you're seeing street flooding in many parts of South and West Florida right now. 
So uh, it, there does seem to be a, a, a movement in that direction. And uh, there's a little bit of sticker shock, of course, you know, the idea of uh, you will always have some pushback from a sector of the Republican Party on anything related to bonding. You know, the idea that the state is going to, you know, go into some red ink to uh, try to fund something. But um, it, it does look like there's enough oomph behind this right now that it's going to happen. Then, then lastly, with the two-month session, uh, you know, itself is going to be very different. The the state capitol remains mostly closed with virus testing of staff and lawmakers taking place. And uh, Floridians can testify before committees, but the, the Senate is requiring that everybody testify uh, remotely from a couple of blocks away at the uh, uh, county's uh, civic center here in Tallahassee. So it's going to be a pretty unique session this year, very different, but with uh, what some familiar underpinnings of a, of a governor's race on the horizon, a budget to decide on, and uh, lobbyists still trying to work their magic on legislators uh, at a distance this spring. Uh, there are some things that, you know, look very much like any legislative session. Uh, yeah, it, it, it does sound pretty unusual. Um, you know, John, you've, you've covered legislative sessions now for, for many years. Is this kind of one of the stranger ones that, that uh, you're, you're seeing shape up? It really is, because, uh, it, you know, partly because th- th- that capital is so empty right now. Uh, usually it's a, it's a, you know, something of a hive of activity. There's a lot of people schmoozing about, walking about the capital. Uh, right now, that is uh, not allowed. So uh, there are nobody. Uh, there, there's nobody walking the hallways at the state capitol. These committees are sort of uh, that, that have been occurring during the the last uh, six weeks or so of committee meetings have been done. Um, in person, the the legislators are in committee rooms, but these committee rooms are are you know pretty much empty of people. Uh, everybody is uh, working remotely, calling in remotely to meetings, you know, monitoring them remotely, um, and then uh, the the members themselves are not interacting very much with each other or with the press or with the lobbyist uh, core, at least publicly. So um, it, it's a it's a very uh, kind of subterranean legislature right now, and uh, that's going to be a unique thing to cover. Well, uh, less schmoozing with lobbyists might not be uh, such a bad thing. Maybe the lawmakers actually get down to work uh, to doing the people's business. Well, we'll get move on to uh, some numbers here. Antonio, you had four thousand seven hundred and seventy-two. Tell us about that. Yeah, gentlemen, that is an interesting number. It is the net loss of Republican voter registration in Florida between January 12th and February 9th. And I have to credit my colleague Chris Prasad at the Palm Beach Post for finding this out, but he he did a data dive and he saw that uh, between January 12th and February 9th, uh, the state Republican Party lost 24,266 uh, Republicans who quit the party. Um, that was offset by the, uh, an additional, the, the addition of 19,494 people who joined the Republican Party and for that net loss of 4,772. Now, by contrast, during the same period of time, uh, state the state Democratic Party picked up a net gain of 10,620 more voters, according to Chris's analysis. And what this suggests is that this is a part of the hemorrhaging that Republicans have seen since the the January 6th Capitol insurrection. And we've seen this in other states, and now we, we see it as well in, in Florida. And it's not really good news for the GOP, obviously, which has been making strong gains in voter registration over the past few years to deeply cut into the Democrats' historic lead in voter 
voter numbers. And that's one reason why Trump won an impressive victory in Florida in November by 3.4%. In a state where pollsters generally say a two-point win is akin to a landslide. Um, but you know what, though? I, I think it's also good news for the Trumplicans because the GOPers leaving the party, we might surmise, were those that were more moderate or perhaps they were never Trumpers. The new ones coming in, it doesn't stretch the imagination to say we're drawn in by Trump. We don't know any of this for sure right now. It'll be a while before we're able to sort it out and confirm it. But it seems like a logical extension to make. And if so, if, if this is a trend and not a momentary, we can surmise that going Florida, the Florida GOP will be even more Trumpy in a state that has been called the Trumpiest state in America. Yeah, and uh, before any Democrats get excited about uh, you know picking up a, a, a net gain in voter registrations, they really, as you mentioned, um, have really fallen far behind the GOP. They've got a long way to go to, to catch up. I mean, under Obama, uh, I think in 2008, when he ran for office, the Democrats had more than a 600,000 uh, voter registration over uh, Republicans. And I think now it's down to around 100,000. And we know that that wasn't enough for uh, you know Democrats uh, to uh, carry Florida um, in uh, in 2020. So, uh, you know, a few thousand is not going to make much of a difference if uh, Democrats are, are getting excited about that. Uh, John, your number was 33. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, Zach, 33 is the number of states where Republican legislators have filed 165 bills aimed at restricting voter access, and Florida's among them. You know, uh, last week when we were wrapping up our show, Governor Ron DeSantis was in West Palm uh, announcing his plans for a package of election law changes that included making it tougher to vote by mail and uh, likely eliminating the number of drop boxes that are used in counties for uh, you know, distributing, dropping off ballots. Um, DeSantis is, uh, is certain to be on the ballot next year. And uh, as we talked a bit last week, he is very wary of Florida's mail ballot system, which uh, currently is set to favor Democrats, 45% uh, of whom voted that way last November, compared with only 31% of Republicans. But uh, DeSantis and his Republican allies in the legislature aren't the only ones looking to limit voter access. Um, Florida is kind of a unique place uh, because uh, while some states where Republicans are looking to change voter laws are, are places like Pennsylvania and Georgia, where Trump lost, the former president easily carried Florida in November. But uh, in Florida, the table is set for Democrats to do better again next year with vote by mail. And uh, that's a reason it's being targeted by the governor this year. Uh, the, the number there of uh, the bills state nationwide, uh, that comes from the Brennan Center for Justice at uh, New York University's Law School, which has been tracking the election bills that are flowing in across the country. And, uh, and they're concluding that mail ballots are a popular target. Uh, but, you know, uh, amid all this dark news, they also found that there are 541 bills across 37 states that actually expand voter access, uh, even here in Florida. Here, the uh, Democrats have introduced measures that would allow for voters to register the same day that they're uh, at the polling place and uh, even make Election Day a paid holiday to encourage turnout. But uh, these ideas, uh, you know, are really facing an uphill battle in the Florida legislature where Republicans increase their dominance, uh, picking up more seats in the November election. So uh, watch for DeSantis and the Florida Republicans to advance their wish list. Uh, 
And if uh, history is a guide, we'll be back in court for some battles over voting access later this year and into next year, the election year. Yeah, those changes to the election laws are a big uh, national story, and we'll be watching it uh, here in Florida as well. My number is 100,000. That's the number of Twitter followers. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, the state's lone statewide elected Democrat, surpassed this week after a push by her supporters to boost her following. Freed more than tripled her Twitter following in just a few days. She still doesn't have a massive following compared to politicians with a national profile, but more important than the size of her following is the fact that her backers are angling so hard to boost her exposure. It's another sign that she's ramping up to run for governor in 2022 against Ron DeSantis. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.